Well, we're in this teaching series here at Crossroads called Mistakes I've Made, Lessons I've Learned. Mistakes I've Made and Lessons I've Learned. If you've celebrated more than, say, two birthdays, you've made some mistakes, right? You have. Uh, I have too. Most of us in here are probably professional mistake makers. How many pros do we have in here? It's like, Pastor, if you need something messed up, I'm your guy, right? That, that's me. I'm, but here's our, here's our hope in this series, that through the study and application, so it's not just hearing God's word, but it's applying it, being a doer of God's word, that, uh, you know, there might be a few mistakes we could avoid, and then hopefully when we do make a mistake, we can learn all that we can from it, we can actually grow through it. It's painful growth, but there is an opportunity to grow through our mistakes, and then we can even ask God to redeem our mistakes as he sees fit. So if you're a mistake maker like me, there is hope for you today. We're going to open up our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to go right in verse 1. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David, who's king at the time, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Everyone say, David remained. David remained. It was the time of year that kings go out to battle. And at this point in David's life, he's the king of Israel. So we might think that David got up early that morning, strapped on his armor, grabbed his sword, mounted his horse, and rode off into the battlefield. David had done that many times. He was a highly skilled and highly celebrated warrior. But today, this day that we're reading about, this day is different. David has finally reached a level of success in his life that he's able to hire some people. Right? He's, he doesn't have to do all the fighting on his own. He's able to raise up some mighty men of valor, some, some generals in his army. And instead of David having to strap on his armor and go out, he actually sends some people to fight on his behalf. And Joab and the rest of his army go out, and they're very, very successful. David sends someone to do his battle for him. He decides to take a day off. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with a day off. How many enjoy a good day off every once in a while, right? Nothing wrong with a day off. But in David's case, because while his men are fighting the enemy, David is about to find himself fighting a war against his own soul. So in David's case, a day off was a bad idea. He chose to fight the wrong battle, and he's about to make one of the biggest mistakes of his life. Verse 2. And then it happened one evening that David arose from bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Verse 5, And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with 
child. Thus far in this series, we've looked at people in the Bible who've made some big mistakes concerning things like uh, anger. You know, Moses, he had an anger problem. He made some mistakes in his anger. Uh, we looked at bad decisions like Abraham and Sarah. They had a lack of patience. They got ahead of God's timing. We looked at Jonah who finally obeyed God, but at first there was some delayed uh, obedience, and, and which turns into disobedience and got himself in a whole heap of trouble. And then last week we looked at Noah in his, his situation, his mistake that he made with alcohol abuse. And, and I just want to say I'm not sure... Uh, that we have gotten more response from any message we've ever done at Crossroads Church than we did about last week's message. Um, not just from people in the house, but from people outside our house, people who uh, listen on the radio, people who watch online. We've gotten so many phone calls and emails and text messages this week thanking us for the message last week. And if you weren't here, please check it out. Go to our YouTube channel and, and look at uh, a, a biblical relationship that we as Christ followers ought to have with alcohol. And I hope it will be a blessing to you. But today I want to look at a topic that, again... I think this is a, a very common struggle for everyone in the room. And this is the struggle for purity and the fight against lust. Striving for purity ought to be what the people of God do. But we are humans. We live in a fleshly body. And this body got some issues, everybody. <laughs> so does yours. <laughs> And David had some issues. He's one of the most celebrated men in the Bible. He's literally one of the main characters. And, and in, in, the, in the book of, the, uh, of God's Word, we get to see how David goes from this lowly shepherd boy to a warrior. And then he becomes one of the greatest kings Israel has ever known. There are many great things said about David. He's called a man after God's own heart. And even Jesus Christ is said to sit upon the throne of David. David wrote many of the Psalms, which are songs and prayers that we still use for worship today. He is a man that did great things for God, but yet on this day... We're going to call it David's day off. He makes a huge mistake that I pray we can all learn from today. David neglects his duty as king, and instead of going out and, and fighting a battle out there, he stays home, and he wages a war against his own soul. Now, it, the Scripture says that he sleeps all day. We don't know why. Did he stay up all night on his phone? We don't know. You know, did he stay up all night on Netflix? We don't know. Did he drink too much the night before? We don't know. We're not told that. Was he just exhausted from being king? He's just, he's just wore out. He's got a lot of stress. He's got a lot of pressures. We don't know. But he gets up late. He's walking around on his rooftop terrace, and he sees a woman bathing. Now, at this point, David, just because he sees her bathing, he's not sinned. But he's got a choice to make. Once he sees this beautiful woman in this state there of bathing, he's got a choice to make. Does he, does he turn away? Or does he continue to look long enough that the look turns into lust? Well, David makes the wrong choice, and his look does turn to lust. And David says, hey, who, who is that? That one right there, who is that? And when he finds out she's someone else's wife, you know what David says? I don't care. I want her. I don't care who she is. Her husband was out fighting in David's army. David knows that. He doesn't care. He says, I want her. Bring her to 
me. And one of the first things we have to understand about lust is, is that lust is extremely selfish. We never lust for someone else's benefit. Lust is all about us. Listen, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. It's about to get real quiet in here other than the babies, but it's okay. God doesn't get nervous when it gets quiet, and neither do I. You didn't vote me in. You can't vote me out. I'm here to stay. (laughs) I know, young ladies and old ladies, (laughs) that your boyfriend will try and convince you that he wants to be with you because he loves you so much. But that dog is driven by nothing but selfish lust. Can I get an amen in the house of God this morning? Oh, I'm preaching so much better than your amen and already. <laughs> lust is not love. Those two things are opposites. They cannot coexist. If he loves you, he will wait for you until you've entered the covenant of marriage. Love waits. Lust wants it right now. David says, I want her. I don't care that she belongs to someone else. I want her now. He gets her. He's intimate with her. And she conceives a child. I've already stated that God does some incredible things through the life of David. But this one choice is is, is going to lead to another bad choice and another bad choice. And this day that he took off is going to change David's life forever. David's big mistake is he did not pursue purity. He allowed his life to be controlled by lust. And we can look at David's story and clearly see his mistake. But as we've done in other parts of this series, now we we look at the text and then we look at the mirror. We look in the Bible and we see the mistake they made. And then we allow God's word to be a mirror and reflect back into our own lives. And I want to take a few minutes and do that. We are living in a day where sexual sin is celebrated. We've just kicked off an entire month-long celebration where everything from candy to cartoons will attempt to tell us what we should think and believe about sexuality. Not only will culture tell us what we should think and believe, but it will also tell us that it's okay to behave however we want when it comes to our sexuality. And then that same culture will have the audacity to pretend that there are no consequences to our actions. I'm going to. But just as we also said about alcohol last week, the same is true with sex. You can remove the stigma of behavior, but you cannot remove the consequences. And every family that is in this room, every family listening online or the radio today, we have all lived through the negative impact of allowing lust to go unchecked in our lives. Lust unchecked will lead to a life unhinged. If you don't keep it in its proper place, again, even lust itself doesn't have proper place, but I'm talking about the the area of gender and sexuality and all those things. If they're not informed by God's word, it it will cause your life to come apart. All we have to do is look around us. Divorce is often the result of unchecked lust. Affairs, if you've ever been through an affair, it it is one of the most devastating, bitter stings a person will ever encounter when they have been cheated on by someone they love the most. 
Sexual assault and sexual abuse is a result of lust. Pornography use is now an, an epidemic in our culture among men and women. And people like to say that it doesn't hurt anyone. Are you kidding me? You can, you can take the word of God, you can take the Bible and set it aside if you want to. I, 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 don't, I don't suggest it, but you can take it and set it aside and just look at the results of sexual sin in our culture. Pornography often fuels human trafficking, which is a way bigger problem than I think any of us imagine. It destroys intimacy in marriage. Many young people are finding themselves unable to have fulfilling relationships because of this addiction. It is robbing the innocence of our children. And not only does lust rob the innocence of our children, but it literally robs the life of about one million children per year through abortion. And that's just in our country alone. Let's talk about a promiscuous lifestyle that is promoted by our culture. I believe that any rational person would conclude that we are a society filled with emotional brokenness. We're a broken people. We, we're, we're in bad shape, folks. I said, Pastor, I want you to make me feel good. I'm, I'm trying to get there, but sometimes you got to deal with the mess before you can get to the other side of things. you got to face up to some reality that's going on in our lives and in our culture, and it's creeping into the church before we can find freedom. Jesus said you're going to know the truth, and then the truth that you know will set you free. you got to be willing to deal with the truth, and we are people are, who are, are broken because we have given our bodies to person after person after person that we're not in covenant with. It creates a mess. There is no such thing as casual sex. It does not exist. It's not casual. <laughs> And if you're, not, if you're not in the safety and the blessing and the beauty of a covenantal marriage before God, you are actually destroying your own soul. Just look at the results of the sexual revolution. It has not produced what we hoped it would produce. It has been an utter failure. It has greatly damaged the moral fabric, the physical health, and the cultural structure of our nation. God created physical intimacy to be this beautiful gift for a married couple. But when we take that gift and we use it without the protections of that covenant, we hurt our own souls. Our young people are not told what really happens when you are physical with someone. That, that you, you create ties that, that, that bonds you with someone. And, and in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. It strengthens the marriage. But when you create ties with someone and then you rip that yourselves apart, you break up with that person, you move on, and you go from person to person to person, you're, you're damaging your own soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this in verse 16. It says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, verse 18, flee, run from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hear me. 
It's not that sexual sin is worse than other sins in the eyes of God. Okay, we, we're not going to put sin on, on, on kind of this, you know, this scale or rate it. But here is the difference. Here's why sexual sin is different is we are actually sinning against our own souls. It damages us in a way that no other sin does. And some folks might say, well, pastor, what is considered sexual immorality? Well, I could give you a long list today, but it's easier just to say this. The only safe place for physical intimacy is within the covenant of one man, one woman marriage. That's it. That's it. Anything outside of that godly design is going to carry with it painful consequences. Let's talk about David's consequences. One thing I've tried to repeat throughout this series is that we are all going to make mistakes. We just are. And there's hope that God can even redeem our mistakes, and often he does. How many thankful that God redeems mistakes? Boy, I am. I am. But I also need to make sure that I'm clear, that you're clear, that God doesn't always erase the consequences of our mistakes. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't always erase the consequences of our mistakes. Forgiveness brings us back in fellowship with God. But forgiveness does not release us from consequences. You see, David not only allows his lust to take another man's wife, but in an effort to cover his own sin, David deliberately arranges for Uriah, her husband, to be killed in battle. David's lust unchecked leads him to horrible, you know, just horrible consequences. And here's what happens in David's life. His, his own wives become immoral. His daughter is raped by one of his sons. And the child that he conceived with Bathsheba, that child dies. Church, our choices have consequences. God works through our mistakes, but he does not always erase the consequences. I said, Pastor, that feels heavy. It is. <laughs> It's supposed to, because it's true. Some people misunderstand some things about Christianity, and they say, hey, but wasn't, doesn't Jesus say he'll forgive me? Yes, and he does. But forgiveness is not the same as erasing. There are consequences to the choices that we make. Now, David, he does not repent on his own. He has taken another man's wife. He's taken a man's life. He's, he's made bad choice after bad choice, and he won't repent. So God sends a man named Nathan into David's life to confront him uh, about his sin. And this is what I've found to be true over the years. God will first talk to us about our sin. And he will sometimes talk to us for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years about the choices that we're making that are hurting us. He's giving us time to repent privately. God has no desire to embarrass us. 
However, because he loves us and sin hurts us and others, if we don't repent privately, God will allow our sin to go public. He allows it to be revealed as an act of his grace so that he might heal what he reveals. And in David's case, he would not repent privately. The best I can tell, at least nine months goes by, maybe longer, and David still has not repented for his sin, so God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan begins to tell him a story about a man guilty of murder and taking what doesn't belong to him. And when David first hears this story and he thinks about it, he thinks it's about someone else, he gets angry. He's like, who is this guy? Give me this guy. What, What kind of man would do this? And Nathan finally looks at him and says, bro, you are the man. You did it. The story I'm telling is about you. And David breaks. Thank God he breaks. You ever been broken by God? You ever ever been taken to the mat by God Almighty? Let me tell you, there is a blessing. People say, Pastor, I I don't want to be broken. I want to be fixed. Let me tell you, when God breaks you, there is a blessing in brokenness (laughs) that, that you'll never get. At Disney World. Can I tell you, there is, there is a blessing in some valleys in life that you will never know in a mountaintop experience. And, and I, I want you to know this, Crossroads Church. If you want to fulfill the call of God, the plan and purpose of God for your life, you will have to submit to brokenness. You will have to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to give you all that I have. I'm going to give you all that I am. You're going to have to allow God to open up what's on the inside of you and reveal some things in your heart and your life, and you are going to have to experience the blessings of brokenness, but I'd rather be like Jacob and walk with a limp for the rest of my life than to hide behind my sin and just be a religious person who comes to church on Sunday morning and punches the religious time clock. I don't want to live like that. I want to give my all to God. I want God to have permission to do the breaking in me that he needs to do. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. When we started this series five or six weeks ago, I asked us all to say, it was me. I said, go ahead, say that. It was me. I said, isn't it freeing? Because the culture we live in always just tries to blame everybody else. And and I said, but if if we take personal accountability, it's so freeing to just say, it wasn't anyone else. I'm not like this because of what my mom did when I was five years old. I'm not like this because of what my last church did. I'm not like this because of that bad boss that I have. It was me. There's such a freedom that comes when you lay down every excuse. And you say, God, it's not my wife's fault. It's not those kids you gave me. 
it's me. And David, finally, he's broken. After nine months or longer, we don't know for sure. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Friends, the very best thing we can do when we make a mistake, when we sin, is to repent immediately. If we don't, we run the risk of our own hearts becoming calloused to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Years ago, I, I didn't drink coffee at all. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor. I know. But when I started drinking coffee, I'd get a cup of coffee. It was so hot, I couldn't drink it. And so I lived, or I worked in Grantsville, but we lived in Cumberland. So I'd stop at Sheets in Cumberland. I'd get a cup of coffee, and I would have to wait until I got to Grantsville to drink the coffee because it was just so hot. I wasn't used to it. But now, after 20 years of searing my lips every morning as soon as I get out of bed with hot coffee, now it's like I drink half the cup. I've got to put it in the microwave and heat it back up again. Old rubber lips over here can't feel anything. What's happened after years and years and years? These things are numb. When we don't respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit the first time he convicts us. We get a little callous. And then the second time we, we add another layer of callous on it. And the third time we add another layer. Church, the best thing we can do when God convicts us of something, we get that little tinge in there. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have looked at that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have sent that text. Lord, forgive me. Repent immediately. Somebody say amen. amen. David finally repents of his sin. He writes a psalm that gives a glimpse into his heart and probably ours as well. Let's look at Psalm 51 together. Talk about David's forgiveness. Have mercy up, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Repentance is, is always a response to the kindness of God. He's so kind to forgive me. It makes me want to repent. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. Verse 6, behold, you desire truth. We've been talking about that today. Don't pretend. Truth. In my inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken, there's that brokenness we talked about, may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I love this. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, God. Do something in me that I cannot do myself and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast away your pre or me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. David, he's the king and he's saying the most precious thing I have in this life is the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, don't take it from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, 
Verse 13, I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. This is such a beautiful psalm of repentance and forgiveness. And I believe that David's prayer right there in verse 13 is being answered at this very moment. He says, God, would you take my mistakes? Would you take my story? And would you use it to help teach others what to do when they mess up? Church, this is why we've been doing this entire series. God allows the mistakes of his people to be written into his holy word so that we can learn from them. And today, in this area of purity, there is none of us, no, not one, who don't have some regrets in this area. Even if it's just in our thought life. Like, if you dare sit there and self-righteous and you know that girl who had that affair and you judge her, how dare you? You know that guy that messed up, got caught doing what he did, and you're judging him, and somehow you think you're greater than him. How dare you? The person that's in a relationship that's not honoring God right now, and you know better, and you look at them, and you say, surely they should know better. Listen, bro. Listen, sis. You remember when the religious folks brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus? And Jesus said, hey, y'all, you want to kill her? Okay, let's kill her. But he who is without sin, you go first. You know what he's basically saying? He's basically saying, when we're done killing her, you next, bro. Your next sis, we'll take you all out. Because in this area, people look at Jesus and they think Jesus did away with all standards. Jesus didn't do away with all standards. Jesus actually raised the bar. And Jesus said, You know what? It's not just a sin to commit adultery. He said, but if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Who among us have never struggled with even our thought life? We've all failed. So there's no condemnation here today. But I want to tell you, I feel this so strong in my heart. There is a Strong warning against sin. And if you're in a battle right now with lust, do everything you can to cut off the things that trigger you. If you're in a sinful relationship right now, you know it. You're, you're being intimate with someone you're not married to. Cut it off. If you're living with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, make plans to move out. Stop putting yourself in a position to, to be tempted and you're giving in and you're giving in and you're giving in. If you're addicted to pornography, cut it off. Just cut it off. These things are hurting us. It's, it's not anything goes. It's not everything's okay, everything's permissible. No, it's destroying our lives. Just look around. How many broken homes and broken kids the results are glaring they're staring at us in the face today there's a strong warning against sin but you know what else there is it's also an open invitation to forgiveness many of us are living with shame concerning our past mistakes in this area and I've often had people tell me you know pastor I, I just can't forgive myself 
I've had people tell me that they hate themselves because of their shame. Listen, listen to me. Hate your sin, but don't hate yourself. Hate your sin, but don't hate yourself. See, I can't forgive myself. Listen, forgiveness is not something we have the power to achieve. Forgiveness is something we receive. You ain't the judge. If you say you can't forgive yourself of something God can forgive you of, then what you are literally saying is you have created your own throne and you have placed it above the throne of God. David said in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Listen, God does the forgiving. We receive the cleansing. Self-hatred. It cannot change your past and it does not glorify God. You know what glorifies God? Repentance, forgiveness, and a changed life. Today there's a strong warning against sin. There's an open door to forgiveness. And there's also a hopeful invitation that each of us, every person in here, would pursue holiness in our lives. We know what the world says about the, about the topic. They're, they're clueless. <laughs> they have no idea. But here's what God says to his people. You, my people, are different. Live like it. You've been forgiven. Now live like it. You've been washed. Now live like it. You've been cleansed. Now live like it. You've been redeemed. Now live like it. You've been born again. Now live like it. If you're struggling in this area, if you're struggling with shame or guilt, I talked to a woman last night who's been carrying shame of mistakes in this area for decades of her life. She's repented. It's her past, but she's still carrying the shame of it. I'm going to ask Cindy to sing one song. And let's make this song a prayer. Let's make this song a response to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. It's true. It's the standard of holiness. And when we operate by it and we live in a way that honors you, there are blessings. But God, the truth is, is when we ignore your ways, when we reject them, there are consequences. Not because you're angry, not because you're trying to punish us. There are just consequences to our choices. And all of us in this room, every single one, have struggled. Today, we're renewing a commitment to pursue holiness and purity and righteousness. And God, for anyone who needs your cleansing, let the blood of Jesus wash over them this morning.